The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Thursday, September 15th. If you listen to podcasts in audio form, and it's Wednesday, September 14th. If you're watching live on YouTube, youtube.com slash pick six. That also means it's a Brady Quinn football show. Pew, 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 pew. And the debut of my bookshelves behind me, which clearly I didn't know how they would like. I didn't know how they would look when I got on StreamYard. I mean, there's a lot of footballs just sitting in shelves. There's a lot of footballs. <laughs> It looks like you're an equipment manager and you've got all these like footballs waiting to be Well, I put the bookshelves together and then I was like, oh yeah, I guess I need stuff on there if I'm going to use it on the podcast. Humble brag, no big deal. That I, humble brag that I put it together? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, I feel like everyone gets white glove service and they have, have someone else coming to put it together. But, did, you uh, like, did you like the, Do you like my bookshelves better than my, my uh, oh, it's messing up my hair. Yeah, there's a football in my house. The football, the floating football. Uh, floating football. Um, I, I love the uh, the piano in the background. That really classes the whole thing up. Yeah, so. as, I, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of people think that I'm the type of person who would have a piano, who would like purchase a piano without being able to play a piano. Which well, didn't you once have Burt Bacharach over to play piano with your with your pops for like a Christmas Christmas party? I can't confirm nor deny that. Yeah. Yeah, about something about the Brinson estate would have. That's right. A little uh, t- you know, twinkling the ivory and whatnot. Um, anywho, Brady Quinn, of course, joining me what on this. Uh, love the needs now. Hey, let me ask you something. Uh, <laughs> That's a good song. I did watch, uh, I did watch uh, Austin Powers recently. Did you really? Yeah, it was just on Netflix. I just randomly tossed it on. That's that's one of those movies that I forget what else I was just I just saw. Oh, Billy Madison. We talked about this last week. I don't think so, but I talked about this with somebody. So like I was watching, I was like, "Oh, this isn't as funny as it used to be." Like, it doesn't hold up. In the yeah, it doesn't hold up. Like there's some movies that do. Like I, I personally feel like Wayne's World was like before its time. So you look back, and there's just like certain things that just make me laugh. Like every time they count us in to like a live shot, when they're like, "And three, two, yeah," I'm, I'm like, yeah, "Wayne's World." I know they're like, and we're like, 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 like,
yeah. thing. I'm, I'm just waiting for that every single week. I know, I know. Yeah, I, that does that does check out for a Wayne's World. Uh, Wayne's World was ahead of its time. It sure it, does suck. Wayne's World, it's it's that's right. Um, Cassandra could play a mean version of Fire. Yes. Um, anywho, uh, so Nathaniel Hackett on Monday night, and we realized that it's Thursday if you're listening to the podcast. So we're trying. I want to try to spin this forward. Yeah. So well, we- there's there's also a perspective that like I could provide that I feel like maybe hasn't been touched on. But go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I was going to ask you if you thought that are you going to are you going to defend the kick? Is that what is that what? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I was going to ask you if, if if as a player in that locker room or on that team, like. Do you start to question? Did you start to question um Hackett? Yeah. I I think with every step of the way, like how that the game flow of that game went. Um, one of my concerns about them, and this is one of the the stories at a camp, was they weren't hitting much. They looked soft in some of the preseason games. Kind of played out in that game too. You know, I, I knew that was them the MO of Pete Carroll and what they want to do traditionally is run the football and all that, but there was also a degree of like, yeah, Bradley Chubb, Randy, Randy Gregory, they really didn't get much pressure in the first half. I mean, Geno Smith, when there was pressure, made a play, but um, it was just weird. I mean, even on the outside of the perimeter, like Pat Sertan playing 10 yards off, and I'm like, all right, I mean, challenge DK Metcalf at some point. You know, you're not just giving him these easy catches for 8, 9, 10 yards. Um, but I think the thing I, I, I took away from just listening to everything, one, how funny it was hearing Nathaniel Hackett the next day goes – Definitely should have been, definitely should have <laughs> yeah. for it. It's like, All right, my bad, my bad. Yeah. I was wrong. I'm not even going to defend no, it. No one in the history of the world is going to sound like that ever as a head coach. Um, like, like that a beat about, like most, you know, I probably should have went for it. Um, we went back through maybe, maybe Gus Bradley, maybe Gus Bradley, more like remorseful, but like, def, def, my bad, man. Like, definitely should have went for it. I was kind of shocked by how a beat he was about it, but here's the deal. When, when, when I was with Russell Wilson in Seattle, one of the things that Pete Carroll did that I thought was really unique was he always talked about winning the game in the fourth quarter like, and really the final two minutes of the game being largely what dictated like winning and losing. And so they would install their two-minute first, which was kind of different than anywhere else I've been. And we've talked about that before. But then what, what also like takes it a step further is, you know, when you get to a certain point, especially in the West Coast system, a lot of times they'll have the quarterback call the two-minute offense. Like you'll be out there, you know, getting everyone lined up because you're not subbing. So if they sub in a wide receiver is tired or something, maybe, but that's about it. And then you're basically calling the protection, calling everything out. You're not even looking at the sideline because it's faster that way. Um, that's more of an old school thing. It's not done quite as much anymore, but there's still some coaches that'll have the quarterback do that. But the other thing was, is like, I remember sitting in that room with Carl Smith and him drilling over, Hey, 22 seconds left. All right. No timeouts. This is the most amount of time we have that we feel comfortable with running play clock yet. 16 seconds bare minimum, but we we don't feel comfortable doing that. We, we talked about this um, after the, the Cowboys 49ers playoff game. You were like, no, we did this in Seattle. Like we, there was a X amount of time. Literally, we'd go over like, hey, 33 seconds, that you know, one timeout. How many plays can you get in? We would do this all the time, like all the time. So what was shocking for me was Russell Wilson being in an environment that was so familiar wasn't after the third down play, just goes timeout. Like timeout, let, let's talk about this. What was the need to run the clock down? Like, as much as you look at Nathaniel Hackett, go first year head coach, maybe he's trying to talk through this whole thing. They take some time off the clock, then burn a timeout. Okay, but they, they had still two other timeouts. They they should have been thinking like, even though McManus said forty six, that's where we're at now. 
we still need to preserve time in the event that we decide to go for this and want to move forward. Like there never should have been a thought of not using a timeout right away, whether you got the first down on third down or didn't and got to the 46. So it was a little bit surprising that in that instance, though, Russell didn't just take over. Yeah. I mean, most quarterbacks, especially whether they're trained, you just come out. Like, you saw Peyton. Did you see Peyton Manning? Peyton's yeah. like, like doing like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like that's how we're trained. Like I'm watching it going, like, what, what the hell? Like what are we doing? I, mean, I was watching it going, what the hell? And I, I've never played quarterback. But I mean, like, well, I, I, and that's and that's where you look at the decision from Nathaniel Hackett to instead of justifying it, which I do think he talked through the process and said, hey, we got to the 46. That's where Brandon McManus told us we needed to get to. Now that goes back on the head coach though. So wait, Brandon, um, a 64 yarder. Like, are you sure about that? Like kind of far, like, let me just, let me just, let me just go through the history here of all the 60 plus yard kicks you've made. Uh, what does he made? Like, was like one for eight or something like that? You 64 yarders that have like ever been made in NFL history. At some point you go, yeah, I'm not going to go with that. Give me another number. Cause that seems like a little bit last resort not really what we're looking for here and it's not even like you're not even like an altitude up in mile high he's like he's like yeah yeah, yeah. i feel, feel pretty good about a 64 yarder although i mean granted he did have the distance but it's like the other thing is you two other points um one i think i made this on monday night but it's like if you were gonna if you're gonna kick it the move is to just run the field goal unit out there and kick it without calling the timeout so you have three timeouts in the event he misses now it's not right like, you can fall back in dire circumstances right yeah you're not likely you know if he misses, you're probably losing the way. But I mean, the point is, he should have gone for it. Do you or do you think that moving forward? So like, I mean, you know, they're favored by ten points. The Broncos are against the Texans this week, but you know, they have six games against the Chargers, Chiefs, and Raiders left. You know, they, you know, you lose the Seahawks in Seattle week one. It's a tough spot for you know from an emotional standpoint. But I mean, the the bigger concern for me is just like how unorganized or like how the Bronco, how Russ and Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos is a, in general, like just didn't look like they were on the same page. And you know, you kept hearing, you can't remember if it was like, I think Joe Peyton Manning mentioned it. Cause he said he talked to, um, he talked to Russell. And he's like, he's like, I'm not sure who is calling the plays. And you sort of wonder like, is that like, that's a pretty big concern moving forward. Right. Where it's. Yeah. I mean, they, look, they know internally who is, I mean, they don't need to tell on the outside. I mean, look at the New England Patriots, for example. No, no, no. He's saying, he was saying like between Russ and, and Hackett. Right. Like Russ is going to call the play sometimes. Cause that's, you know, Russ, he's mentioned it being his offense. And I mean, I, it's definitely Nathaniel Hackett's offense. I mean, I, Russ might be making some audibles or, or, or having input, but. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. Like at times you could tell that Russ was like changing the play call at the line, which is not unusual for a veteran quarterback well, he played for a long time. I mean, if, if he needs to get in the best play, he can do that. You know, that's probably part of when he got there. Some of the things you want to talk to them about that. That's not the bothersome thing to me. I think the bothersome thing is just situationally, like as a first time head coach, th- there's a lot of adjustments that you need to make throughout the course of the game. And I didn't think that Denver necessarily did that overly well. Um, I mean, look, are they going to fumble the ball on the one yard line uh, in another game this year? Probably not ever. You know, the rest of the time, Haggett's head coach. Um, defensively, though, I thought that was the biggest departure that, I, like, watching that team from what they were with Vic Fangio. I was like, God, like, if they could only have Vic Fangio back, you know, with his scheme for what they want to do with the defense, it just was a, it was a long departure from what they were. And I think they were a quarterback away under Vic. And now I don't know what to describe mm. the that's an interesting. They were a quarterback away under Vic. It's like you were a quarterback away when you had that defense. Right. Now you're like a, you have a quarterback, but you might not have the defense. 
Right. Because, I mean, Geno Smith carved him up. Uh, and the Seahawks I mean, had a great plan. Don't get me wrong, but, you know. Well, again, I think there was, they, they took what the defense gave them, and the defense was giving them a lot. Yeah. Uh, this is a defense that, in my opinion, has Pat Sertan. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. And, I, you know, look, I can imagine that Pat Sertan looks at DK Metcalf and goes, probably don't want to press on the entire game because there's going to be times when that big human being is going to be able to get by me. You know, with his speed, with his size and strength, you know, it's going to be hard to jam a guy like that at the line of scrimmage. But I also would imagine that it's hard to run up and tackle him, especially if he gets the ball in his hand quick and can, and, and can face me up. That's going to be – it's going to be hard to bring him down. So I might want to stop that process before it gets started and try to disrupt his route, disrupt the timing, and then hope that I can make a contested play on a football so he never catches the football in the first place. Um, I mean, that's how I would view that. But I think you saw a lot more – you know, post-tie coverage, you saw a lot more physicality from the defensive backs and the receivers, 200 Vic Fangio, and just better pass rush. I mean, better against the run. Um, you know, different ways of, of trying to kind of stop, you know, gaps and so forth. So that was my biggest takeaway. It wasn't so much, you know, Russell Wilson in the offense. I, I think that'll be a work in progress. They'll come along um, as he gets more comfortable and they develop chemistry. It was more the defense. Like, you thought, okay, the defense is good. We have to worry about them. You know, let's let's talk about the offense because largely the defensive personnel is the same, with the exception of Randy Gregory. Yeah, and and so that's what's alarming. Was like, all right, you know, is is, is maybe this defense not going to be as good as we were, thought they were going to be in a division where you really need them to be? No, I, th- I think it's a I think it's a fair point. Um, who I'm trying to think who's like the most who's the most desperate team in the NFL going into Week Two? Oh, I mean, I, I would say Carolina's desperately because their head coach is in a position where. You know, you lose on a last-minute uh, field goal to the Browns with a backup. After storming back and taking the win in, in very improbable fashion. Yeah, and then now you've got a New York Giants team you're playing this week that, I don't know, you probably should beat or be competitive with. And if you don't, you're 0-2 and you're a head coach that um, needs to win. Uh, otherwise, you might not be around anymore. So I, I think not only for Matt Rule, but it's probably for Baker Mayfield too. Um, with all the talk and everything else and – Nothing really coming from that. So that's the team that I feel like for those reasons, just with the quarterback head coach, which always seems to be the headlines, probably the most pressed for a win this week. Mm. Uh, I mean, Robert Sala is keeping you know, receipts right now. Uh, apparently he's jealous of Brian Big Balls Dayballs. Um, getting, yeah, Brian uh, Dayballs? I like the, Brian Dayballs. Big Dayballs. Uh, yeah. Getting all the love from the Wait, New York is, is he, Did he say that? Is he mad? Is he annoyed? Well, I mean, you don't come out and say you're taking receipts from the media, giving you a hard time. Unless, look, it's just not a Robert. I didn't say that. Yeah, it was on the front page of the um, one of the one of the news publications out there. But um, yeah, look it up. Look, look, one of the look, look a picture of him holding receipts, being like, oh, "I'm keeping receipts of all this." It's like, dude, Wait, really? <laughs> That's great. I'm like, I mean, I don't know what people say. Like, the Giants went for two on the road, beat a team in the Tennessee Titans that people view as potentially a playoff team. Um, and you couldn't even come in, you know, close to covering a spread versus the Baltimore Ravens. So, hmm, interesting. I'm taking receipts. I'm be more than happy to share them with all y'all when it's all said and done. Yeah. But for people who continually mock and say the Jets won't do anything, well, I mean, like, bro, like the Jets haven't done anything in a long time. Like, what? Are you well, doing? they haven't, and, and and look, they don't have the starting quarterback in. They have a yeah. really rough slate for the first what nine games, and I'm not sure anyone's like. I mean, it's not they're down on them. It's just, you know, it wasn't really that close. Maybe in the first half, and then Baltimore pulled away, and the rest is history. So That tells me that Robert Sala feels like his seat's a little toasty. I, you know, I, I don't know if it is or isn't. I think that's the interesting thing about it is, like, I think they will turn the corner if he's given enough time. What was interesting was it was so out of character for Robert Sala because yeah. he's like this 
poised, cool, calm demeanor type coach that usually doesn't pay too much attention to things that don't matter, like what the media thinks after week one, right? And that was what was interesting is like he felt the need to come out and make that statement. And you're going, all right, like are we focused? And the Jets were like a bottom three or five storyline of the entire like no one was really even talking about the Jets. Right. You're just drawing attention to yourself by doing that. It's 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 a little well, even then, like, are you keeping receipts of Vegas saying put your over under at five wins? I mean, like, how long does this list of receipts go? Is this like my my damn grocery store list that I get back from that? I'm like looking at it going. I've got three kids. How much damn milk do we need? I mean, oh my god, the milk is not. No, I I, I hate milk. By the way, I don't even drink milk anymore. I used Either. to drink a gallon a day, but now I barely even drink milk. Did you? Would you have trouble like using the bathroom if you're drinking a gallon of milk a day? No. What is with people having issues with like lactose now, getting at their older ages? Like I hear this all the time. I'll go crush a milkshake like on the regular whenever I want. I have zero issues. Is this like a thing now? Like older people can't drink milk. No, but just cheese and milk it, it uh, clogs you up. Not me. I, I've never or had. Maybe that. you're just a, maybe you're just a perfect human specimen. I'm. I'm not saying that. I mean, I mean aren't you? Uh, no, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying like milk's never been one of those things that I've thought like, oh yeah, all that dairy is just gonna tear someone up. Like, I, no, it, no, no, not tear you up. Oh, back you up. It backs you up. It back. So it constipates you. Yeah. Yes. 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 That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, oh, well, it. it, it um Divas like, like firing yeah. you. He's like, just break, just go to break. Go to break. <laughs> I remember um, I forget we were doing TV somewhere and they like didn't have many snacks. We might have been in LA when we were doing this. And I had a fiber one bar. I was like, God, these fiber one bars are so good. Like, that's all they had though, right? Like, I think it was during COVID. So we were out, you know, doing TV, couldn't get catering, like they didn't really have many options. And so I started eating these fiber one bars. And I think after like three of them, I was like, oh God. That was a lot of fiber. And then <laughs> at one point, I had like a fourth one later on in the day because I'm a glutton for punishment. And I was starving. I didn't really need anything all day. And, I, and it was like, okay, now I see why they're calling them fiber one. Like, now I see what's happening here. <laughs> uh, Molly P in the comments says, you guys do know this is being recorded and live on YouTube, right? It's absolutely oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. is. I, I don't care. I, I, we try to be an open book here. Yeah, we are. We are a wide open book here. The Brady Quinn football show. Um, so last year, the Green Bay Packers set a record. Mm-hmm. The fewest points ever scored by an MVP in week one after he won the award with three. Yeah. They, came back, they throttled the Lions in week two. This year, they almost they they, they the almost second, second fewest points ever scored by a reigning MVP in week one. Seven points against the Vikings. MVP or three? I mean, he does it three years in a row. Maybe I mean, so. full MVP. Because I remember, I think we talked about this before. Like Brett Favre's had it three years in a row, but he shared the third one with Barry Sanders. Which, like, if you actually go back and look, like, I think Barry Sanders won like every other Player of the Year award. It was kind of like, yeah. And by the way, I'm not, like the Lions didn't have like the Lions won like six games or something like that. That's right, like, right. Yeah. Well, I, I felt like Barry Sanders was more the legitimate MVP, and it was like, but yeah. yeah. I, I guess what I well, my, what I'm getting at there is right now, anyways. But by the way, should we should we be worried about the Packers' offense? Because last year when they bounced back, they had Devontae Adams, uh, Aaron Jones. By the way, three receiving touchdowns last year in Week Two. Uh, Devontae Adams had like 150 yards. What's your concern level? with the Packers offense moving forward, knowing that, I mean, you know, and seeing that there's just not, there isn't really a true wide receiver one, or maybe even a candidate for one. It, it'll develop. I mean, I, I think the promising thing is the, the harder part of, of the Christian Watson drop for what would have been a touchdown, right? Walk-in touchdown. Um, walk-in touchdown, right? The harder part is getting past a defense like that. 
Well, he's got that down. Now it's just about catching a ball that literally just fell in your lap that you somehow dropped, right? Couldn't that be a better thing than football? No. Like, I mean, you you could have sent a blind man down the field, and he could have literally just been like, all right, put your hands out now, and he would have caught it, right? Yeah. Like, I, my concern isn't so much with the wide receivers. I think that'll come along. Um, they didn't have Alan Lazard. But it's more about like Bakhtiari and and, and Elgin uh, Jenkins not being there. Like I think like what's up with Bakhtiari not being out there? It's really struggled to to stay healthy now. Like I, I feel like those guys getting back helps solidify some things better in the run game, a little better protection. Um, but it, it'll come around. Like it, it'll come along. We've we've seen this throughout Aaron Rodgers' career. Maybe not as an MVP dealing with the change of wide receiver, but we talked about this from from Jennings to uh, Jordy Nelson and Jordy Nelson to um, you know Devontae Adams or. James Jones or whoever else we could throw in the conversation. Yeah, they 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 do a good job of that. I thought the Vikings though. All, I mean, you know, aside the Roger story is the is the bigger headline because it, they struggle. Wait, so wait, he's like five hundred against the Vikings. I want I want to say over like the course of at least when Zimmer was there, but a good portion of his career, like they've been competitive games. It's not overly surprising that you know that was a game that you saw them, but the Vikings win. He's certainly, he's certainly not as good against the Vikings as he is against the Bears. Like, what's his career win-loss record versus the Vikings? I think it's like um, above 500. I will tell you in three seconds. He is uh, 16 and 11 and 1. Yeah. yeah but, right? but then look over look I mean, over the past like six years. Uh, I can't. I, I just said career splits. But I mean, I think uh, you're well, – I mean, 16, 11, and 1 is like – I mean, he's 22 and 5 against the Bears. I mean, it's, you know. Right. Yeah, like which that's one that you just go, okay. Like blindly lay the points with Green Bay anytime Aaron Rodgers is playing the Bears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I want to ask you about the Vikings offense. But first, let's take a break. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Vikings offense next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy – Celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Minnesota again, like you know, the Rodgers and the Packers is the big storyline. But I mean, Minnesota looked awesome. Yeah. Is this uh, is is Kevin O'Connell the uh, like the the secret sauce? Like the Rams stink now, and the, and the Vikings are great because of Kevin O'Connell. That's some people are like floating that theory out there. The floating, the floating that theory. I mean, look, the Rams ran into a buzzsaw that was the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I don't believe that theory. I'm just telling you that some people. Oh wait, it, it only took like Kansas City playing one game. People were like. Oh, Kansas City, they're going to go back to Super. I was like, wait, did, did you guys forget? Like, Buffalo played Thursday night. They looked pretty pretty darn right. good. Yeah. Um, no, I, here's what I think it is. I, I think Kevin O'Connell brings in an offense that really suits the oh, – nice By the way, Devo, Devo is the great producer that he is. Looked up the last six years for Rodgers and the Vikings. Yep. Five, six, and one. There you go. Um, so, back to O'Connell. 
I think he's a better fit for what Kirk Cousins does offensively. And it helps to have that guy who's calling the plays uh, be your head coach and, and be a fan of you, right? I don't know that Mike Zimmer was ever a fan really of Kirk Cousins. So um, to have the guy who, you know, I, I think as Mike Holmgren told me one time uh, as he had a conversation with Brett Favre, that like, look, either this is going to work or it's not. Either we're going to be holding Lombardi together or we're going to be sitting out next to the dumpsters, dumpsters together. Like you're the two guys that ultimately are going to make this thing go and receive all the, you know, all the, uh, blame and criticism or all, all the uh, praise. So I think that's a portion of it. Uh, I haven't d- d- like dove into their offense quite as much as I will here calling a game in a couple weeks. Uh, I do know this and talking to some of the staff there, um, they just feel like it's better suited for what Cousins does, um, not only for you know the boots, the move of the pocket, but also how they work through his reads, progressions, and really set things up uh, for Justin Jefferson, which clearly in that game, um, they took advantage of the fact that if Jair Alexander is not going to travel with Justin yeah. Jefferson, like they're they're going to find ways of getting him touches and getting him the football, uh, which you think any any offense will do that with their best wide receiver. So well, you think thing, the, the the defensive you know uh, scheme too is has largely changed to something where I, I think you're going to see it, it fits their personnel better. You know, Harrison Smith isn't running around trying to disguise forever. He's able to kind of play more flat footed and pattern match and. Uh, read the eyes of the quarterback and he's not like running to get back into position to then figure out what the heck's going on like he, I think he's in a better position to succeed uh, Daniel Hunter is in a better position to to succeed uh, given the technique and what they're asking him to do up front so it, it's just all around I think it's a better fit for their personnel and what they're looking at trying to do uh, by the way Jair Alexander was asked about it and said the game plan was to not allow 18 to beat us why I wasn't on him that's not my call anybody anybody watch me play you know that's what I want even if it's out of character for what you do schematically, I just think it makes way too much sense when you have a guy who, in my opinion, with Justin Jefferson's arguably the best receiver in the game right now. Uh, arguably the best cornerback. Right. And so you find ways of, of matching them up and just putting them on island. And then you dare and you say, you know, is Kirk Cousins going to throw his way? Um, there, there's times when you are and there's times when you're not. It kind of depends on your comfort level and confidence in that right receiver and certain routes, you know, getting open. So it, it's, it's all just a matter of how it works out. I mean, if you go back and watch through like the Dallas Cowboys game and Tampa Bay, like I thought one of the most underestimated things was how they took away CeeDee Lamb and really forced Dak yes. to go elsewhere. And one of the things that they did was the way they undercut a lot of the routes or played a trail technique. And one of the things you hate about that as a quarterback is CeeDee Lamb is not the guy that's going to be like a burner that's just going to beat you straight line speed down downfield. Now, they will do that every once in a while, but not that often. He's short, intermediate route, get the ball in his hands, let him run. Yep. Well, it's really uncomfortable for a quarterback if they're playing press or if they're playing even like a cover two trail technique where they're going to jam him and look to reroute and then just try to slide underneath him and kind of follow him. It's tough because as a quarterback, you kind of feel that and, and, and you really feel uncomfortable throwing any outbreak around for sure. Because you feel like somebody's trying to definitely jump the route, right? Well, even, and, and then even any in-breaking route. Because if you're a little bit behind like or a little bit off, it's done, right? Or if that window is tight, like you really are going to have a hard time trying to fit it in there. So, um, you know, there's, there's different things you can do like that that I think disrupt how quarterbacks feel. And um, that obviously wasn't the game plan for Green Bay versus Justin Jefferson, but it, it would be something that I think you try to look at and apply next time around when you play him. Well, and, and that, that, I think I was going to ask you about the Cowboys anyway next, so that, that's a great accidental segue by you. That shows what a true pro you are. Um, like, Even if Dak was healthy, the Cowboys don't look like a good team. Like They 
sort of kind of reminiscent of what we saw from the Rams on Thursday, albeit against a much, you know, much more difficult opponent in the, in the bills. Like I, like I, I don't, I don't take away that. Oh, the Rams are screwed. It's just, I do take away. All right. They have some line issues and they need some more depth at wide receiver. And the same thing with the Cowboys, like they can, you know, you can complain about the DAC injury all you want, but even before the injury, it was very clear that the Cowboys had massive issues at certain positions that just aren't going to fix themselves. Like you can't, just hope that your wide receiver core gets better. You know, like Jalen Tolbert can, you know, you'd love for him to develop, but he wasn't even active. Right. I, I think that's more of the problem is uh, if you look at, you know, the, the roster, how it's comprised right now, they don't have that guy that can really take the top off of defense and scare them. I mean, you might say, well, it could be Michael Gallup. Um, you know, he, he, it didn't seem like he was that effective. I mean, Mario Cooper was that guy. You traded him away. And, and, and CeeDee Lamb is like one of those kind of possession receivers that I think he's great at getting separation at top routes and all that. But if he beats a guy off the line, he doesn't have the same type of speed to ultimately be able to, to make that huge play. Like um, I would say Kevante Turpin, for example, who's been a great story. Um, you know, what I think he was like MVP of the USL, USFL. Yeah, USFL MVP and then had those two. And uh, two three three season season. Season. Like he's the type of guy that's got legitimate speed. But he's also not the kind of guy you're going to put out there. He's, he's tiny, and he's kind of had a hard time catching on since he since he really um, has been playing professional football now. But like that's more the type of speed you're looking for, like breakaway speed. It's not that. So there's just there's just no compliment. I mean, unless it's Dalton Schultz, or you know, you get in a bunch of two back sets where you've got Zeke and Tony Pollard in the backfield, then maybe you give a defense more to think about. But I, I just think it, it's tough sledding, you know, with the way even if you move Ceedee Lamb around, if you go watch that game, they did. It's just he's still a focal point. Like there's nothing that really takes your eye or takes you away from from having a guy still if they're dropping into zone coverage, you know, shade to the way where a CD Lamb is, or they're playing man, and you've got a free safety who's probably shaded to that side or probably has his eyes on CD Lamb, knowing Dak can look you off all you want, you know where he's going to football. That, that that's the NFL. Like not many, not many game plans start where you're gonna have a pass play and CD Lamb's not the first or second reading it, unless it's a screen or uh, it's 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 a different concept where you've got him singled up on the backside and you know you've got three receivers to the right or something like that. Um, you've you've dealt with, uh, but I guess I want to have you with the DAC thing. Have you ever did you ever deal with any kind of injury on the joint of your throwing hand? No, I never dealt with. Um, I believe it's either an ulnar fra- ulnar fracture or ulnar um, evulsion fracture, which I'm Quinn medicine man. But um, I mean, look, the, the I've hurt my thumb before where it made it difficult to grip the football. And so the four-week time window that Gary Jones is tossing out, I mean, it's if it's fractured, if it's truly fractured, I mean, bones usually don't heal until six weeks. Now, they have like these, these bone stimulator things that are helped to uh, expedite the process of the bone healing. But even then, there could be some pain. He obviously had surgery. It's going to feel different with the surgery. I don't care what anyone tells you. When you put in screws or a plate or however they went about um, stabilizing that joint, you're going to kill some nerves. You're literally, your thumb's going to feel different. It's going to feel different. You're gripping the football. And so if he comes back after four weeks or whatever timetable Jerry threw out there, I just think you're going to see yourself in a similar position to Russell Wilson last year. He's not yeah, exactly. going to what he's capable of. And it's it's going to look funky for three or four weeks. And I think it's hard to swallow that considering how bad they looked versus Tampa. And look, good credit to Tampa. They're a great defense. But, I mean, going into – you know, the, the, you know, midpoint of your schedule where it's trying to make or break. Like, I think they're just, they won't admit they made a mistake by not having an insurance policy at a, at a backup quarterback. Yep. And maybe they've tried to call around and like every, the price is just too high for some of the guys they're looking for. Um, 
what was oh i, I was gonna ask you um so i, I I'm, not, I'm not theorizing this and i don't want to suggest that it's like all right so Dak prescott before mike mccarthy got there never missed a game in his career now he's now missed he's now going to miss like two big chunks of two two or three seasons with mike mccarthy as the head coach i'm not suggesting that mike mccarthy is the reason he's getting hurt but i do think there's something to the fact that the he got hurt trying to mount a furious comeback right against the giants i believe and they were they were trailing because you know the coaching and the offense wasn't wasn't working very well and then again they were in a situation where he was having to throw late in a game um against tampa bay because you'd scored three points do you do you is there any justification for uh for suggesting that mike mccarthy shoulders a little bit of the blame for dak dealing with these these uh, medical issues so it's an interesting question that you bring up and i guess i'll do this um I mean, Aaron Rodgers suffered some seasons where he didn't make it through. Well, Mike, oh, oh, Mike McCarthy. So, um, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of interesting. It's something to look at, right? Uh, I know it was a 2017, I believe. Uh, Aaron Rodgers missed a good portion of the season. I think 2013 too. Um, I, I know for sure. Obviously, Mike McCarthy was the head coach at that point. I think 2017 he played seven games. 2013 he played nine games. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's an interesting theory. I'd have to kind of come back through it more. I think the reality is the offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys has it just gone downhill. Uh, and it's it's not a knock, but you've got a rookie left tackle. That's not by design. Tyron Smith is uh, obviously supposed to be there. He's not. Um, you know, Zach Martin is a guy who's the best, you know, offensive line they have, but he's like the, the best one is still there at this point in time. Connor McGovern, you know, got hurt. He's taken out of it now. So there's just, there's a lot of issues that I think, um, you know, whether when, when you move on from some of those older players who have been mainstays there, those are like the, the glue guys, you know, that you never seem to appreciate quite enough. And I think that happens every year in the NFL, regardless of what you're, you know, the, the stars of your roster, you have those glue guys that end up moving somewhere else or retiring uh, and, and they and they kill it like they, they put you in this sort of position right now. So I think it's more like people make a big deal about that with Zeke, like all oh, Zeke's lost a step and all that. No, their offensive line isn't as dominant as it used to be. I mean, when you watch those games, you still see him with, with some of that burst and the vision and all that, but the difference is, is he's not making that first cut down the field. He's making that first cut sometimes behind the line of scrimmage or at the or line. Outside or like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean that's why Jerry Jones probably shoulders some blame too on the Dak Prescott thing because it's like, you know, and like Travis Smith had played a really good game in, in filling in for Tyron Smith as a whole, but Tyler. Tyler, not Travis, sorry. Yeah, but when you have to move Tyler Smith from left guard to left tackle, you are making the left guard position weaker. And when you don't have that depth at the offensive line, you don't have that talent, it's it's going to cause Dak Prescott to get more pressure on him. And I believe the the play in question, Tyler Smith got got beat, and that's where Dak gets his hand on the helmet. I mean, that's like, you know, you can just you can call it a fluke accident, a freak accident, whatever it is, but there is like a reason why Dak was in a position to have that happen to his hand. And it's a result of the offense not working and the and the offensive line not blocking very well. Right. No, that's that's all part of it. I mean, I'd be curious too, just to go back and look at how many seven man protections they use as opposed to you know five and six man protections. Um, it, it's just a hunch, and it's it's literally on the on the kind of top of my head. I don't know if there's any validity to it, um, but that's also another thing to look at is like how often are they actually keeping Dalton Schultz in um, to pass pro along with the running back as opposed to letting that guy release out. So. I mean, one, you've you know you're not going to have that extra body in there to help out potentially a tackle, or just the offensive line and the way they're going to slide, uh, but potentially formationally, however they're however they're splitting them out, 
you know, maybe he's not there to make it a harder rush, you know, for the edge defender. Not even chipping too. as he gets out. He's like, yeah, he's like, or even chip. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be chipping. It's just, you know, when you think about how you're getting the ball in two and a half seconds, usually maybe three, you know, if you could just make it a wider path. And so if that guy's playing in a nine technique, if you're then a stand up, you know, tight end who splits out a little bit and you force him to be that just give a straight shot to the quarterback. Yeah. Well, even just, it's just a longer distance, it takes him more time. So maybe he's not getting there uh, before that ball is like, you know, let go. Gotcha. Uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, that is definitely worth watching. To the uh, Patriots offense. <laughs> okay, good good response. That that is that is all we need. I mean, what is, what's going on here? I, I don't know. I mean, it's I it's mean, hard because you know again we we assume it's Matt Patricia, right? I think on the plays um, could be Joe Judge. Like it could be a combination. I could mean, be Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, it could be Bill Belichick. It, it might be uh, uh, Matt Freeman. I was on the podcast with me pointed out that and I, I'd forgotten this. Um, Belichick called plays in Cleveland for two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of it. I, I think I think the one thing is personnel wise, I thought they would be better suited on offense um, to to find some big plays. But I just think they're having a hard time finding a rhythm. Like like I said I said this, and I don't know. It probably was on radio. Uh, not on, not on doing this with you, but. The hardest thing about becoming a play caller for someone like Matt Patricia or whoever's doing it, Joe Judge, because I assume it's one of those two, and I, I'm, I'm assuming it's not Belichick, is you got to find your identity. And, and even if you are a veteran play caller, you have to find the identity of that team each year, like what your strengths and weaknesses are. And that's why if you, if you listen to Bill Belichick, he'll say the first four games of the season are usually like still the preseason. Yes. And in part because they're still figuring out like what they can execute in a real game scenario and what they can do. And, and I just think it's hard to figure that out if you can't figure out your personality and the type of, of play caller you are. And so that that's even more complicated if you have multiple people who are involved with sometimes teams uh, dissect, like, and they'll say, hey, you got thirds downs, you got red zone, you got first and second down. Like, sometimes they do it that way, pass game, run game, coordinator. Like, you'll hear these funky ways of how they do it. And I always feel like it's it becomes difficult. And, you know, it's almost like working with a bipolar wife. You know, it's like, all right, well, what am I getting right now? Um, and and it, and it gets tough like that to deal with. Hypothetically that. speaking. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically. My wife or your or AK. Or no, your, no one's talking about anybody's wife in reality. Hypothetical. Only. I mean, hypothetically. And then honestly, if I was talking about someone's wife, I mean, given all the banter and things you've said over the years, it'd definitely be yours, be AK. But no, it would definitely be yours. It would be yours. Actually, I'm, I'm definitely saying it'd be yours. But. I'm not saying that I've seen your wife like throw an axe at you before. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that I've seen that. Oh, no, wait, what were we playing? No, it was an axe, but it bounced off. Yeah. Yeah, it ricocheted. Wait, no, wait, was it an axe? Or we, yeah, we were throwing, a, axes. Were we throwing axes. Well, axes, remember? Like, yeah. that's like the thing now. Like, hey, let's get a bunch of beer. Let's get drunk. Let's throw axes, because, like, that makes sense. Like, right. right. <laughs> but no, wait, was it axes, or was it? Wasn't knives. I mean, what else would it have been? But it was like it was like a bocce style setup we were playing. Yes, I know. That's like a thing. They have They have a place down in South Florida. Okay, so it was, the, it was the underground bar with the, and we were like, but yeah. it was like, it like, it felt like you might have gotten like a serious, like, and she's like, she definitely did it by accident, hypothetically. 100%. I mean, hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. Um, okay, before we sure. say that day too, since it is Thursday when people are listening, Chargers and Chiefs are playing on Thursday night. That's right. What, um, lay the points, baby. Lay the I points. I think so too. Are the Chiefs, yeah. are the Chiefs back? Just kidding. The Chiefs never left. 
No, they never left. I think, I think they're out to prove that Tyreek Hill, like we appreciate everyone's concern about Tyreek Hill, but I don't know if you guys know this. We are Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Sky Moore was, he was like the, the all the talk of the preseason training camp. Like he was barely involved. I know. It's like, it's still Travis Kelsey, like Juju Smith-Schuster, like, all that. I, I just, I, I think they, um, I think they'll be just fine. I, I think they will be. And I think, you know, their defense has improved. The addition of Carl Office helps. Uh, McDuffie's out though, right? Um, yeah, he's on IR now. Which, by the way, he looked phenomenal though. Yeah. Like that was one of my biggest takeaways. Was well, I mean, like their identification of players who can come in and immediately impact their roster between Skymore, Karloftis, and McDuffie to that point. Um, I mean, they they hit on all. Of them. It's just it's unfortunate he's, he's now on IR. Hopefully, he comes back at some point in the season. Uh, but no, I, I think they'll be just fine. And I think it's it's scary to think. Like I know we're going to try to hype up the Chargers and Justin Herbert, all that. But it's like. I, I've got to see someone else win this division. Yeah, I don't understand. By the way, the Chiefs are still plus one fifteen to win the division. Dude, it was honestly like I mean, not not to go back, but it was almost like with with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in Seattle, like people tend to forget how successful of a run they had. Yeah, I mean, they were essentially, if you really look at it, like statistically speaking, like win losses. And Debo could probably look this up. They were the closest thing to the equivalent during that time of Brady and Belichick. Absolutely, they were they were a borderline dynasty until, like, until the whole Hawaii trip and everybody got mad at each other. Yeah, which I'm still trying to figure out what what's up. I mean, because even Pete Carroll saying stuff this week now, like all the former players coming back and they're happy. For, you know, Seattle got the win. I'm like, oh, okay, what's what's happening there? Yeah, now there's a rift between Russ and um, Sherman, and now there's a rift between Pete and Russ. It's very. But there's like something else there because all the former players are like, yeah, you know, that they were not supportive of him, you know, oh, Russ or a Pete of, of Russ. They came back and they all raised the flag and all that stuff. So Diva's a monster. Look this at is 2010 to 2019. Okay. Well, here's why 2010, you can't factor that in. Right. Russell Wilson wasn't drafted yet. What'd you do? 2020? They, they don't have lists as quickly like that, like 2012 uh, to 2019. Oh, this, is the, this is the decade. Gotcha. Right. Okay. This well, why don't we do this? Well, uh, well, the Seahawks went seven and nine in, in 2010 to 2011. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So this is just quick. We got to get Brady out in two minutes. So this was a quick stat. Okay. Okay. But if you remove that, I mean, I actually think Seattle's winning percentage is probably up there next to New England's. I think you're probably correct. So the Packers in 2010 and 2011 won uh, 26 games. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, no, excuse me. They, yeah, they won 25 games in 2010 and 2011. And the Steelers, I would assume, since they also went to a Super Bowl, won quite a few as well. They won uh, 24, whereas the Seahawks won just 14. So, yeah, if you took those out, the Seahawks would leapfrog into second place, and your theory would then be correct. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, the whole point is it, it's just kind of interesting that we – I don't think we ever gave Seattle the props they deserved. Yeah. Because you know, it was like competitive with San Francisco at one point, and then obviously the Rams, especially when McVay got there. And rightfully so. They went to two Super Bowls and just won one. But there was like this, this kind of like, wait a second, like are we just overlooking how good Seattle is consistently every single flipping year? They didn't, they didn't get the same respect as like the Peyton Breeze Saints. You know who, yeah. who had three seven to nine years in a row, but like and also only won one Super Bowl and only went to one. Right, right. Um, so that was kind of odd to me, but and, and it was even more odd the lack of a reception, which we don't need to get into. But right. just from the fan base, I was like, "What are you doing?" Well, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll didn't exchange any words with Russell on the field before the game. That's 
I, I know. And and look, you can say it's here's what I'll say is like I, I've told you before about like the like what I learned from from Pete Carroll, the whole always compete and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is great. But the, but he's not afraid about like he's not worried about burning a bridge. You know, like I told you the workout where he had Matt Ladder and I go out there and we're going throw for throw with one another. And then when it was as soon as I saw Matt, I was like, well, I mean, that was his coach in college. Like, clearly, yeah, I don't see the chance. He's yeah, like, I'm a good name. Right, like, what kind of setup is this? You know, I'm going to fly all the way across the country. I got a push, push for you, pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when they signed me, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I can only imagine how, how Matt Leiter felt. Well, yeah. that, and then I was thinking, I was like, well, Charlie would have never done that to me. Like, like Charlie Weiss, if that was, he was in that position, he would have been like, yeah, like, he either just would have not brought me out if he didn't yeah. think they were going to have a chance of signing me. Or he wouldn't have brought Matt out in that case. We'd be like, no, you're my guy. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah for sure. well, it was, that was like one of those odd things where I'm like, after that experience, I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised Pete Carroll didn't shake Russell Wilson's hand or could have given two craps about really anything when he came back in that place. AKA Pete Carroll is a savage, an underrated savage. All right. You got to go through his gum. I mean, my God. Yeah, he walks with those with those uh, with those white shoes. The white he's got shoes. jaws like an alligator. I mean, yeah. that, those things. My goodness. Um, you need to look up Pete Carroll pimp gif. Uh, Google that on the internet. There's a uh, there's a gif of somebody put a top hat and a monocle and a cane with him as he's walking by. And he's smacking his gum. Yeah, I've actually got that t shirt. Uh, uh, you know what worried me too, by the way, because I actually laid the points with Denver in that game, um, and 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 I ended up losing out on our picks to Pete, which oh. makes it even worse. But what made it worse was I immediately wanted to change my pick as soon as, as, you saw, soon as I saw Russell Wilson walking with a bow tie. It wasn't even the yeah. color of the suit. It was the bow tie. And I was like, hmm. cornball. It wasn't cornball. It was just like, you know, it, it just didn't sit well. I, I was kind of like, this, this isn't a football guy. Like a football guy doesn't wear. And I know there's some guys who like, who have played football, even linebacker. I think it was a Dahani Jones or something like that had like a bow tie company. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of never like uh, that's not yeah. as savage as you need to be. Like and, and, have- and how about the fact that he didn't bring a he didn't bring a like a like oh we might lose change of clothes like he had to wear that suit to the press conference afterwards. Right, like, it was like Step Brothers after the fact. You're like oh this isn't as funny anymore. You know, oh <laughs> <laughs> right, this doesn't feel as cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was almost like he could have been the third guy in Dumb and Dumber when they go to that charity yes. for the owl that they kill. It was almost like he could have fit right along with them. Yeah, perfect. Um, all right, you got to get out of here because you got to go do stuff for CBS Sports HQ. Tell Prisco we said hello. Thanks as always, Brady. Uh, these are these are my, this is my favorite hour of the week. It's my favorite hour of the week. Followed up on Wednesdays with my worst hour of the week, having to be with Pete for an hour. <laughs> That's right. What is happening here? That's our new job. All right, Brady. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. See you guys. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.